Hello and welcome to another edition of the Backyard Spin Weekly, uh, where we don't just recap the top action of the week, but we also share some backstories and trivia uh, that will get you following more sports and make you more in general knowledgeable about sports. Uh, this week, I'm excited to have my longtime friend and collaborator uh, Pranav uh, with me on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Pranav. Thanks, Nikhil. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. So, as always, we'll start uh, the, uh, the uh, podcast with uh, the Playmaker Picks uh, segment first. Now, uh, Playmakers is a community of passionate sports fans that Pranav and I are uh, involved in building together. Uh, these are fans who want to just go beyond being passionate fans and contribute to the evolving, ever-growing field of uh, the business of sports, especially in India. Uh, to check out more, you can uh, head out to our website, theplaymaker.org, and you are more than welcome to join the community and uh, contribute. So we'll start uh, our podcast with the Playmaker uh, picks of the week uh, before we go into our respective top three uh, plays of the week. So this week's Playmaker picks... Uh, we talked about uh, we talked about Shifan Hassan's uh, 10,000 meter record uh, in the uh, women's event uh, last week, and it just lasted for two days. So uh, let's send bet Gidi bro- broke the record. Uh, the Ethiopian runner she she broke the re- record at the same track uh, in just uh, two days after Hassan uh, uh, had had uh, set a new record, and she shaved off five seconds of uh, the previous record. So uh, exciting. Uh, development. We are. Uh, if the Olympic uh, happens, and and we hope uh, it does, uh, there are a lot of records that are tumbling in and around the Olympics, and we are really excited to see these uh, uh, matchups. Uh, and the second playmaker pick uh, from the community was uh, the recent Test series victory that the the, the Kiwis have. It was a shame that the uh, Test series were just two Test matches, uh, but uh, Kiwis. Uh, won uh, uh, won the series and uh, uh, especially at the back of performances of uh, the newcomer Devon Conway and in the second test uh, Matt Henry who was a uh, who was a replacement to the rested uh, top bowlers he broke the back of uh, the uh, English batting order uh, and uh, they they emerged uh, victor uh, they, they they convincingly beat uh, the the home side so that sets them up for an interesting matchup against uh, India in the world. Uh, test series that is one event that all of us are really looking forward to so let's see how uh, so Nikhil, how... Uh, i had a question here so uh, given uh, that you must have seen the new zealand especially the second test so as an casual indian cricket fan uh, <laughs> apart from obviously conway who's been insane in this series uh, who else should uh, i as a fan or as an indian fan who should i look out for that would be the most threatening for for us uh, next week actually this week Right, so definitely Kane Williamson. Kane Williamson was injured. He did not play in this uh, uh, match. Tom Latham was the stand-in uh, skipper. Uh, so, so Kane Williamson, as always, will be one of the uh, uh, threatening uh, folks to look out for. But especially in these swinging conditions, we saw what Matt Henry did. So, uh, people like Saudi, uh, Trent Bolt will be fit. Uh, even the uh, tall, lanky... Uh, uh, the Jamieson, who, who who is their uh, uh, newest addition, uh, just look out for their pace attack because I am really curious to see how our batters uh, handle that uh, 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 those swinging conditions. And apart from the WTC, I think uh, Indian cricket fans are have also been treated with the English, uh, the Indian uh, uh, women getting their first test in seven uh, years, uh, and uh, uh, I think that that starts just. A couple of days before the WTC, so that is another thing that, uh, uh, as cricket fans, we can look forward. Actually, uh, thanks for bringing that up because I was reading uh, in the preview for this uh, Indian women's. Uh, I think they're playing England, right? Yeah. So I was reading that the great Mithali Raj has only played, I think, eleven tests in her career, which was a very surprising stat for me. I was not aware that the women hadn't played uh, uh, red ball cricket as much as white ball cricket. So that was a pretty staggering stat that I came across. Yeah, that's a shame, and uh, we hope that with the uh, with 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 so much happening in women's cricket and a lot of good developments that are coming through, we hope that it becomes uh, as mainstream as as the as the mainstream. Cool. So let us head into our uh, top three picks. But before yeah. we do that, as always, let's first talk about uh, the ones that did not make it to our top three list, our bench picks. So Pranav, why don't you go with your yeah. bench picks for this week? All right. So my first bench pick for this week was uh, obviously Euro 2020. Where else can we start? Uh, the opening game. Uh, so 
the Italians were hosting the Turks. So I was very, very excited about this match because if uh, anybody has followed you, uh, the World Cup qualification that's been happening in the last year, if you've seen Turkey, they've been extremely good. It's a young team. Uh, some of you might have heard of uh, Soyuncu from Leicester. Uh, Cengiz under from Leicester. He's not played as much, but he's a pretty good player. Then there's Buruk Yilmaz. He's been around for a while. He won the title with Lil this season. A significant achievement for anybody not named uh, Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> and, right. uh, and it's a very good collection of uh, youngsters as well as experienced people. And they were very, very good in the qualifying stage as well. They beat the Netherlands very, very con- convincingly. And they played uh, slick football. Football that you and I, people uh, who watch football a lot, enjoyed, enjoyed watching them. So when they came... When I saw the fixture list, I saw Italy hosting Turkey. I was very excited. Uh, but when the match actually kicked off, uh, the Italians, who've been very decent under Roberto Mancini uh, in the last year or so, but I expected a close match. But the way uh, the Azzurri went about dismantling Turkey, not just in the first half where they controlled, I think they had some 76% possession, which wow. is I mean, just very, very impressive. Wow. Uh, but... They missed a few chances. I remember Lorenzo Insigne had a great chance on his right foot. He opened his body up, missed it. But it was a sign of things to come in the second half, led by Jorginho at the base of the Italian midfield. They, uh, they just the way they dismantled Turkey's press. They, uh, every time somebody from Turkey pressed, Jorginho would bypass that press with a uh, ball between the midfielders. Would uh, free up somebody like Insigne on the on the left. Mm-hmm. He would cut inside, he would uh, put a diagonal ball. And the way they did that was was very, very good. And obviously, they ended up winning 3-0 with three uh, goals of varying quality. One was obviously an own goal. Uh, but what that told me was that the Italians might be a little ahead of where we might have expected them to be. So, I thought they would be a force of the next World Cup next year right. uh, in, in Qatar. But uh, maybe they are dark horses at, at Euro 2020. So, Obviously, just one game, a very small sample size, but that is definitely a team I would be keeping my eye on uh, in, the, in the knockout stages. Right. So, I just had one query here. I was reading in the uh, uh, newspaper that uh, uh, Insigne was not picked uh, in the squad uh, early on uh, and that there was a huge scandal. And in general, I read about how uh, Syria and the Italian team, uh, the, the Azuris, do not favour wide midfielders, wingers. So, what has Mancini changed the philosophy of the standard Azuri squad and in general uh, how Syria is played? Or uh, uh, are these players just so good that they would fit into any team anyway? So, I think it's it has more to do with the, with the former that you mentioned. So, uh, ever since Roberto Mancini took over, I was actually reading an article by uh, James Horncastle. He is one of the better Serie A Italian writers. Uh, and he, he, uh, it's a great article on The Athletic if anybody wants to read it. Uh, it, ha- it. He mentioned how Mancini, since he took over, I think last year, maybe it's been a couple of years, he changed the entire culture around the Italian team. Instead of a rigid, like you said, a rigid... Uh, a thought process that we have to play a tight midfield, there has to be a deep playmaker, there should be an elite striker, so on and so forth. What he did was he took a step back. He said, okay, let's see what are the good players that I have, what is the pool that I have. And based on the young talent that I have, I'm going to move, I'm going to create my team around that. And Insigne was dropped, you're absolutely right, which caused a lot of furore. But uh, it was a good decision to bring him back. He's one of the best uh, uh, creative players that they have. But the biggest thing Mancini has done, apart from obviously tactics and formations, which he hasn't tinkered around a lot, what he's done is he's given his players free reign that, okay, if you're a striker, if you're as good as Insigne, then I'm not going to tell you that track back every time the ball is coming back. I'm not going to hold you back like the typical, stereotypical Italian manager does. He gave them full reign. He reset the culture. He said, okay, this is not, uh, I'm not going to chain anybody. You are free to do what you want. You're grown men. And that has, uh, unsurprisingly, that has led to a very good bond between this current team that we are seeing at the current tournament. And I think, as I said, I think they're definitely one of the dark horses that uh, we can look forward to. Right. Uh, always good to see the Azuri in action. Uh, yeah. And really looking forward to at least probably an encore of uh, the, the one of my favorite matches ever, the Azuri versus the Orange in uh, 2000 Euro yeah. semi-final. Uh, so, that, yeah. that, that was an epic clash <laughs> and I hope uh, we, we recount some part of it. Uh, what's your yeah. number, what's your second bench pick of it? 
so my second bench pick is slightly different it isn't an event as such but uh, one of the things that caught my eye i think this was over the weekend when it was announced that damian lillard of the portland trail blazers and the draymond green from uh, golden state warriors they both committed to play for team usa at the upcoming olympic games uh, why i felt this is a significant event is because what typically happens is all the star players in the in the nba in basketball especially in the nba they tend to sit out these big events i mean up, up till i would say uh, 2012 olympics or 2008 olympics all players like lebron james stephen curry chris paul all of them used to go this was a big thing but right. over the last decade or so what has happened is they've started obviously they're aging but they've started taking care of their bodies more they started prioritizing that uh, i feel the nba is far more uh, rigorous so i need to focus my attention on that that's why they skip these events Uh, and uh, one of the biggest reasons why these two players have committed is because i'm not sure uh, if you followed the last basketball of fiba world cup in 2019 in china uh, what happened there was uh, usa had not lost a game i think in 13 years since 2006 and they went to the 2019 world cup with a, a second string squad so no superstar had committed but they still had players like uh, utah jazz's donovan mitchell Mm-hmm. uh true holiday from the new orleans but they have a de- they are a decent team right. but they were utterly humiliated in, i think they lost in the quarter finals and they ended up in 7th or 8th place so it was their wow. first competitive loss in 13 years right. and uh, that caused a lot of stir in the in, in the usa that this is this is very very embarrassing you didn't even get to the final right. so after that then more players started to commit that okay we at least while we are superstars we can't let our country down so I think what why Lillard and Green committing is important because this might be my uh, these guys might be followed by uh, Stephen Curry and LeBron James are also interested. I don't know if they'll commit or not, okay. but they've expressed their interest that if we are healthy till that point, if we feel we'll be safe, then we might commit. And if those guys commit, you can imagine the amount of attention. Uh, right. The ba- at least the basketball event will get. It will be like another dream team. So that was one of the things yeah. that I looked forward to in Olympics. We we are, we have yeah. all seen replays of what the dream team yeah. did. uh you know jordan and bunch what they did and uh, how cool they were in terms of uh, uh you know set, just just setting getting more fans uh, crazy about this so i i think this is a great move and we, last time we touched upon that ad and uh, uh, james are going to skip and in fact james had a quip that i mentioned uh, in in the previous podcast about focusing more on uh, playing uh in in space jam rather than in olympics and i found that quite odd and now you're saying that he's reconsidering that so that's that's he also is. good to know i think and one of the last this could be for all of these players because lillard is i think 30 31 green is 30 curry is 33 lebron is obviously 36 37 so this will most likely be the last olympics that these guys will be associated with so mm-hmm. i mean i fingers crossed at least if curry or james at least one of them can make it i think it will be worth uh, watching basketball of the olympics i'm going to watch anyway but it will be even more fun watching <laughs> awesome so who are some of the international players who will be representing their countries we talked about uh, uh, slovenia and doncic i hope uh, i i don't know if they have made it to the olympics or not but uh, who are the other international stars that you feel uh, we should look forward i think they have made it to the olympics so doncic will be there uh, so latvia will have krista porzingis uh, uh, if if he commits i don't know mm-hmm. if he's committed or not Uh, Canada has a couple of good players, so there's Jamal Murray. He injured his ACL, so I'm not sure if he'll be available or not. Mm-hmm. But there's Andrew Wiggins from the Golden State Warriors. He committed to playing for Canada, so that should be a decentish team. I think they'll make it to the quarterfinals at least. Right. Uh, then, I, so apart from the USA, in the last 15 years, Spain and Argentina are the two teams that uh, typically get to the final or the semi-final. Right. So Spain has a lot of players. Even now, a lot of them are getting old at this point, but. Right. Uh, players like mark gasol ricky rubio right, right. and uh, all of these players they play in the nba they are very right. very experienced veteran players and the thing about international basketball is that it isn't as quick as the nba is plus it has 10 minute quarters instead of 12 minute quarters so oh, okay. even if uh, players are a little older uh, they are they are okay with playing that pace because it isn't back and forth back and forth it's a little slow the three point line is a little bit forward than it is in the nba so the rules are a little wow. bit different i i was not aware of that okay yeah okay. so uh, actually what happened uh, very quickly i just tell you Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last olympics uh, i don't remember who went for team usa but uh, the first game i remember watching i was expecting a, they were playing a very weak team 
and i thought they would completely blow them out like 100 to 60 or something like that mm-hmm. but uh, they kept rimming out uh, bas- three point basket after bas- nothing was going in for the first two quarters right. so the clay uh, thompson i think was there uh, so he was interviewed later he said that i am used to shooting from 30 uh, 30 meters 30 feet out the three point line here is a 26 <laughs> meters or something so i was completely not used to the basket being that close when i'm shooting so it it it's a good way to see that even athletes are surprised nice. when sli- rules are changed slightly nice i'll i'll uh, th- thanks for pointing that out i'll i'll look forward uh, yeah. to to watching this when when we do that and i think this year they have also included three on three so that will also be uh, exciting okay. to watch it should be all right so nikhil what are your bench picks for this for, the, for this yeah i i had just one so uh, the the name lends itself to memes uh, patrick shicks <laughs> sick goal uh, uh 50 54 yard wonder that uh, that i don't know it it seemed to defy the laws of physics it was uh, curling it was uh, uh, winding i don't know it it, it did a lot of uh, uh, stuff yeah. that uh, we don't really see in uh, in football games in goals and it was such a long distance goal he he had the special awareness to you know look up and see that the goalkeeper was up and then t- take the uh take the shot so it was it was a mind blowing uh, goal and i think we already have the winner for uh, this year's euro goal what do you think prada yeah yeah i think if there is a goal that beats this goal then i am very very much looking forward <laughs> to watching it because this was i mean you're actually right the way uh, it happened in such a split moment that you're watching the match the ball is at the half field line you're expecting a counter attack to happen because it was i think 2 on 2 and then suddenly the ball is in the back of the net so the way it happened and the as you said it defied the laws of physics the way it curled and bent into the back of the net was was wonderful to watch so uh, in your opinion is this the best goal that you have seen at at uh, any european championship or have you seen a better one see so uh, i think there were comparisons with the manish goal that uh, that was uh, in 2004 i think uh, that yeah. was also a long distance and incredible goal so that's the only comparison i have but otherwise i don't think uh, I, i have uh, seen a better goal what about you do you think this compares across eras my if you ask me if, uh, since i started watching football I, i like you said the manish goal is probably the uh, closest that comes to this uh, i remember tony cruz's free kick against sweden but i'm not sure if that if that was euro 2016 or the world cup i the uh, it uh, the line is a little blurred but uh, in terms of the way it was hit the 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 trajectory and all of that uh, honest at least live i have not seen anything like this it was it was just brilliant Awesome. I think this is Puskas worthy. So I think yeah, yeah, uh, Son. Sure. I think uh, it will be in the top five or ten for sure. Right. So I think Son will have a worthy successor uh, for <laughs> for the Puskas award. Right. So that uh, that uh, after the uh, bench picks, let us go into our uh, top three picks of the week. So Pranav, why don't you start with uh, your slightly unconventional pick for number three this week? Yeah. So uh, my number three pick is. It might look negative on the out- outset that why is why am I including an injury as a as a in the my top three pick? But the uh, reason I included this is because of the ramifications it has across the NBA playoffs uh, for 2020-21. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for the people who've not heard of it, so uh, the Brooklyn Nets are this year's super team. Uh, super team. uh we have had lebron james and the miami heat we've had uh, uh, san antonio spurs led by tim duncan manu ginobili tony parker we've had obviously very recently the reason i started watching and i'm sure a lot of people started watching with the golden state warriors uh with uh, curry and clay thompson who were joined by kevin durant for 3 years mm-hmm. and now this year we have kyrie irving kevin durant and james harden on the net so when these three people joined together about 6 months back before the start of the season everybody said that okay the title is over let's stop watching the basketball <laughs> because these three are probably together uh, the most potent nba attack if not of all time then at least of this century because uh, all three by themselves are uh, transcendent uh, scorers right. uh, kevin durant is probably after lebron james the best nba player there has been in the last few uh, uh, in the last couple of decades at least mm-hmm. if not of all time is definitely top 10 uh, mm-hmm. kyrie irving uh, everybody knows him from uh, the that shot in game 7 <laughs> over curry which right. won them the title 
Right. And of course, James Harden has been in the last three years. He's been the top scorer in the NBA for the last years for the Houston Rockets. Now put them together on the same team, and you can imagine the uh, the fear that the opposition will have. Yeah. But unfortunately, what has happened this season is between the three of them, somebody or the other has been injured throughout. So Durant obviously came back after that absolutely horrible Achilles injury, uh, which kept him out for a season and a half. So he was eased back in. He wasn't playing a lot. Then uh, Harden uh, came in. He got injured. Then Irving got injured. So throughout the season, regular season, it was not uh, great for them. But everybody thought, okay, once we get to the playoffs, they'll be rested, they'll be healthy, and they'll breeze through to the title. And they were doing that. So they uh, dismantled the Boston Celtics in the first round. And you thought, okay, everybody's worst nightmare except the Brooklyn Nets is, is coming true. And uh, then they face the Milwaukee Bucks. So that was a, this is a series that I have been looking forward to, like every other NBA fan, because the Bucks also have uh, the great Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. So when that series started, I I woke up at 5 a.m. to watch the first match, wow. and uh, the Nets completely ripped apart the the Milwaukee Bucks, completely blew them away, all three of them. Uh, but in that game, James Harden in the first five seconds went off with a hamstring injury. Literally in the first five seconds, ah. and he was ruled out for the next two three matches. Then the second game again, the the Nets completely uh, dismantled the Bucks. The third game uh, was very tight, but for Irving and uh, and Durant missed a lot. But in the fourth game, the one uh, which I've picked here, Irving uh, at some point in the second half, I think in the third quarter. Uh, went for a dunk, uh, landed on his, I think, right foot, and he sprained it pretty badly, and uh, which left so no James Harden, no Kyrie Irving, both of them suffering significant injuries. So that leaves Kevin Durant, right. and Bucks of course leveled the series two two. So we'll see where that series goes. But um, what this has done is it has suddenly altered the entire landscape. Now instead of just saying that okay, the Nets are the overwhelming favorites, if the Bucks somehow manage to topple the Nets. Then you're looking forward to a Bucks versus maybe a 76ers Eastern Conference final, and on the other side you have Phoenix Suns against either the LA Clippers or the Utah Jazz. So one of these four teams is, uh, or maybe two of these four teams will be in the NBA Finals, and that is something that uh, we haven't seen in a while. That so many small market, so-called small market teams are in the final. What that does to NBA ratings is a different question, but as a uh, as an NBA fan, I am very much looking forward to not seeing the status quo in the final and seeing some underdogs like the Phoenix Suns make it and hopefully win it. I don't know, but uh, so yeah, this is why I wanted to just highlight this for for this week because it could potentially lead to the Nets going out in this round. Right, interesting pick. So, who do you think? It's uh, one of the playmaker picks. Uh, also was Phoenix Suns uh, and and their run. So, uh, do you think Suns are that good, or uh, do you think that the opposition wasn't uh, up to the mark? So honestly, I have asked myself this question a lot of times in the last two weeks because whenever I watch the Suns, they play with Devin Booker and Chris mm-hmm. Paul and DeAndre Ayton. They're playing some wonderful basketball. But then the caveat is that the LA Lakers were obviously James was not fully fit. Anthony Davis was clearly gone by game four or five. So that was they did well to beat them, but it wasn't the most difficult series for them. Then they faced the Denver Nuggets and they swept them four nil. But again, Nikola Jokic was completely exhausted by by the end. They didn't have Jamal Murray. They didn't have Will Barton for the first two games. So while they've done well, I'm still not sure. I'm still on the fence as to are they actually championship worthy. But are they just a very good team who are beating what's put in front of them? But I guess we'll find out in the in the Western Conference Finals if they face the Jazz or the Clippers. That will be the biggest challenge they face so far. Right, and the Clippers are also coming back. They're looking good. At yeah. one point of time, it was uh, it looked yeah. like the Jazz will uh, win it relatively mm-hmm. easily. But uh, uh, but I think the Clippers are bringing their uh, clutch game. Yeah, correct. So this week I think uh, we'll have games five, six, and seven. Uh, so let's see. I'm I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'm I. If you ask me, I'm looking forward to the Jazz beating the Clippers, but uh, it does not happen according to what I want. So let's see. You're right. It sh- it should be fun. So uh, let's go to your pick this time. What's your number three pick? Awesome. So my my number three is uh, from the French Open from the recently concluded Roland Garros and uh, 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 Bar- Barbara Kretsikova, who who was unseeded and uh, she had a great run. She. She she beat uh, first she beat 
uh, Pavluchenkova, who was uh, who was again one of the good stories uh, in the French Open. Uh, she uh, she was she 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 is almost like a journey woman on the tour. Uh, she is 29, 30 year old, and she she was touted to be a big star when she was 18, 19, and uh, having Pavluchenkova as one of the finalists was was a great story. But uh, Barbara Krejcikova, even though she was unseeded. She she came through. She won relatively easily in the finals, and then just one day after that, uh, she was also taking part in the doubles. She already has a couple of doubles, uh, uh, Grand Slam titles to her name, and uh, she she won her third one. Uh, so in in just uh, two days, she was able to win uh, the singles final as well, and then the doubles final as well, which makes her the first uh, uh, lady in 21 years to do that. So the last one to do this was uh, the home favorite Mary Pierce. Uh, uh, and uh, but uh, one of the other reasons why I selected this was the backstory uh, behind this. So uh, Barbara uh, Krejcikova uh, uh, is an up was was an up and coming uh, player from uh, uh, Croatia, and uh, her coach, her mentor was someone someone who has had a bitter uh, sweet uh, story in women's tennis. Uh, the, uh, the legendary lady called Yana Novotna. So those who are familiar, those those from the early mid '90s would remember Yana Novotna crying on the uh, Duchess's uh, shoulder in Wimbledon uh, after uh, Steffi Graf and Navratilova beat her. And then her story of coming back and uh, finally winning it, and then hugging the Duchess, and you know, all that was really, really uh, one of one of the poignant, one of the very. Uh, uplifting stories in in women's tennis, and then unfortunately she uh, she got uh, uh, she got uh, the bad news that she has uh, cancer and that she will not be able to uh, you know it's it's not something that that has, uh, is at a stage when it can be cured. So uh, uh, she she went back to her hometown in Brno, uh, uh, Croatia, and Krejcikova was one of the up and coming uh, youngsters. So she gathered a lot of courage. In fact. One of the great things about uh, this French Open uh, on the court interviews was Martina Navratilova was the one interviewing her, and she asked uh, Navratilova and you know Novotna go way back together, and uh, they they have a uh, they had a special bond. So Navratilova asked her that how did it feel like to uh, uh, to to coach under uh, Novotna, and uh, both of them got sentimental. So she said that uh, I really gathered the courage. Knowing that she was in that condition, but I thought that uh, you know her helping someone do well would also add meaning to her uh, uh, legacy, her life, and she gathered the courage to go there. Novotna is someone who is uh, famously or infamously known to be very, very, very private, especially given the stage that she was in. But she gathered the courage, went there. Uh, Novotna also took her under her wings, and uh, she, in her own style, she said, "I just hope you win." A cup or two, and uh, 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 you know, uh, after she passed away, after Novotna passed away two three years ago, uh, her protege uh, uh, coming uh, coming here and winning it, and then uh, 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 taking the trophy, uh, having an interview with Navratilova was something that sort of completed the full cycle. So not just her performance on the court, but the backstory of uh, her winning it for the late and great uh, Yana Novotna was uh, was the reason I I, I picked this. I think that's a I had absolutely honestly no idea about that story. I'd heard the other side. So Pavluchenkova, as you said, uh, a journey woman, she was 29. She had uh, paid her dues. She got to a final. But on the other side, I had honestly, I had not heard much about uh, Krezikova at all coming into the final. I saw a game against Maria Sakari. I think that was a semi-final. A wonderful right. match. By the way, yes. if anybody missed it, you missed out on a cracker. But apart from that, I hadn't seen a lot of her tennis, to be very honest. And... Uh, but she was, very, as you said, very, very impressive. And this backstory that you told me is very inspiring, uh, moving story. It just adds to the, the one, as you said, completes a circle and adds to the legend of uh, of uh, of uh, Krejcikova and Navratilova uh, and and Novotna. So, uh, right. So, do you think? Uh, and this is a question I think I ask a lot of people in in on the women's side. Is do you think she can repeat it? She can do it on other courts. She can come back next year and do it because we see on the women's yeah. side, it, uh, it's a very open draw most yeah. of the time. So. Does, do you think she has that talent to repeat it or was this, in your opinion, a one-off? What do you think? 
this is uh, and this is such a tough question to answer so i think the last time especially in the french open we saw some kind of streak was when uh, uh, around 2011 2012 when uh, serena williams was at her absolute peak we yeah. don't even know when when her peak was when it ends because uh, see she suddenly uh, uh, you know just goes out there and wins everything but when serena williams and Mar- maria sharapova were uh, uh, there i think they won it for like Four five years in a row, but after that, every year we have had a new winner, especially at the French Open. And uh, this year also, uh, last last year's winner, uh, uh, Swetek, she was looking so good, uh, and uh, she's just nineteen twenty, very sorted, uh, goes out with a psychologist on the on the uh, court. So the younger generation are so yes. wired into the holistic sort of uh, the 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 entire uh, holistic. Uh, development of an athlete and Suvetek is a great example and her her angles and her uh, uh, shots are very different from what you usually see in a women's game. So I was really uh, have, having seen her run in the first three four match- matches. I thought she would uh, win it easily, but uh, 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 Krejcikova and Pavlichenkova also were uh, surprise packages. So. To answer your question, I have absolutely no idea because I don't know what the women's game throws uh, in every tournament, especially the French Open, where it is extremely unpredictable. Yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons I enjoy watching the women's side because unlike the men's side, which we'll get to in a second, <laughs> uh, right. the women's side is always so open that you see uh, inevitably in the even in the quarterfinal stages you start to see new faces emerge. At, uh, almost uh, every year so it's fun to see the amount of talent that's coming out uh, on the on the female side uh, so let's hope right. let's see at what happens at wimbledon i'm looking forward to that absolutely we'll 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 be there in a week probably we'll cover it in our uh, next or next <laughs> next episode so uh, pranav uh, let's move on to your number 2 pick uh, uh, of this week yeah so this one is a little obvious i think uh, if you ask any any football fan uh, their pick from the opening round of matches at euro 2020 year uh, apart from italy and belgium who obviously played now we know they played inferior opposition but uh, the titanic match was obviously between france and germany uh, and uh, so france were favorite starting off germany have been off the rails i think since the last 3 years under joachim lau it's not going well for him uh they uh, if you followed germany german football not bundesliga but the national team for the last 3 4 years they've had some very strange results uh they recently this year i think or maybe it was last year they lost to north macedonia 2-1 at home which was wow. probably the lowest point for this current national team despite the talent that they have so i expected france to win but i thought that since germany were playing at home they were playing at the uh, the alliance arena the home of bayern munich Uh, with the crowd so i thought they would put up a fight and initially they did uh, germany looked good they were pressing well with havertz even though he, he again was in his typical chelsea form <laughs> he was making good runs but he was not able to uh, supply the final pass or finish the final ball but germany were playing well but the way france were playing uh, they looked and this could be uh, a little exaggerated i don't know still in the heat of the moment but uh, the way France were playing around Germany the composure that they were showing i felt that they were even better than what we saw at the 2018 world cup which they obviously won mm-hmm. uh, paul pogba was i mean we, we don't need to talk about angolo conte he is he is yeah. from another world he's probably an alien at this point he has right. three lungs i think the way he runs <laughs> but right. uh, but what stood out to me uh, was that paul pogba on the right of the midfield for france next to conte he was uh probably showing his best form that he hasn't shown for manchester united due to various reasons it could be that conte brings out the best in him he's obviously he covers the pitch from left to right mm-hmm. and pogba was playing uh, uh, balls from from his right uh, right of midfield all the way over to the left to uh, to hernandez who was playing on left back for france he was opening up channels for benzema to run into and the biggest threat and the biggest trump card that france have is obviously kylian mbappe Uh, not a lot of people see him because he plays for PSG and uh, not a lot of people follow PSG or league uh, uh, the French league right. but uh, if you saw the 2018 world cup you'll have seen the pogba mbappe connection mbappe has 
I mean, he runs like a Formula One car. <laughs> if yeah, you, that was if electrifying you, that match against Argentina. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Exactly. If you leave space behind your defense and if you leave Mbappe with that space, you're not going to, then you can hope that he'll miss the goal because there is no way you can actually end up stopping him. So, and Pogba is, uh, if you give Pogba space to find Mbappe over the top of the defense, he's going to find Mbappe. Mm-hmm. And they kept doing this yesterday as well. Germany, for whatever reason, they have a slow center back, especially Matt Summers is now aging. He's not really uh, the same player he was five years ago. And they, again and again, Mbappe was attacking Hummels, uh, outpacing him. Uh, and so what stood out to me from the French performance was they won just one nil with uh, a Hummels own goal. But they could have scored three, four, five had they actually finished the chances that they got. And as good as Belgium played, as good as Italy played, uh, I think it will take an extraordinarily good performance to beat France in the knockout stages. You'll have to somehow figure out how to stop Mbappe, Benzema, if Giroud comes on, uh, uh, if uh, and and uh, Pogba. How do you? How in the world do you stop this attack? It's like the NBA football equivalent of an NBA super team here. And uh, uh, so, unless somebody gets injured or they have a completely off day in the knockout stages, I, I just don't see how anybody will stop this team from, from winning the championship. Right, right. So, you mentioned about Giroud. Uh, I think one of the reasons how this team can be, uh, can be stopped yeah. is by infighting. So, uh, w- what is your take on uh, what happened, the, the entire thing between Giroud and Mbappe? So I read about, I was reading about this for this podcast actually because I was very curious. I'm usually when this thing happens, I usually skip over it because it feels like making a mountain of, out of a moor. Yeah, it, it is the gossip equivalent, the, the, the yeah, page exactly. three, yeah. But France do have history of uh, yeah. this infighting. I think it was a 2010 World Cup where they had the entire squad riding yes. because this Anelka home, I think. Yes, that's, yes, that's what. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, and they ended up going out in the group stages. So it's not like France are free of controversy. So, uh, I read about what happened between Giroud and Mbappe. So, just to recap for anybody who's missed it. Uh, last week, uh, France were playing a warm-up friendly, I think, against Bulgaria. And after the match, uh, uh, so Olivier Giroud came out and said that uh, uh, he, it was a very normal comment, I thought at least. He just said that I made a few runs, but unfortunately, the ball didn't find me. Right. So, maybe maybe you could have worded it better. But uh, it was a, I mean, I don't run of the mill comment. I didn't, nobody actually took notice of it, to be very honest. And then suddenly, two days later, it comes out that uh, Kylian Mbappe is completely incensed by uh, Giroud's comments and he's calling for a press conference, yeah. saying that, uh, what is, why is he saying this? I am completely offended by this and so on. So, and you, in today's day and age, when you have social media, when news travels faster than the speed of light. So, uh, it, it was everywhere that France are done for, there's infighting, they can't make it, there's internal civil war happening, so on right. and so forth. Right. But uh, I think, honestly, what I think is having watched them uh, against Germany, I feel that it was making a mountain out of a molehill because everybody seemed to be fine and Giro and uh, they had a, a pick together as well, Giro and mm-hmm. Mbappe later on. So, right. I think they, they're professionals at the end of the day, both of them, they might have their differences in terms of personality and thinking, but they're pulling towards the same goal right. and having won the World Cup, I think they understand that this is something that they can deal with internally. So, personally, I don't think it'll affect what they do uh, in the end, but... Uh, I mean, that is the best hope, as you said, that other <laughs> countries have at this point. Right. And when we're talking about players who were not picked, I think there was a lot of controversy around Benzema. So, do you think his uh, his pick is justified? Did, did he make any difference? Or this team is so already, you know, full with superstars that having Benzema or not having Benzema does not really make a lot of difference? So, I think it does definitely make a difference because if Benzema was not starting… Uh, so, yesterday they were playing both Mb- uh, uh, Mbappe and Benzema. But uh, uh, if Benzema does not start, then you either starting Giroud or then you're either changing the formation to add an extra midfielder, maybe somebody at the number 10 position behind Mbappe. So, I think it… Ma- and given the season Benzema has had with Real Madrid, I think it was justified taking. There was no way you could leave him behind with the… Uh, in the form that he is in. I think, as you said, it, it's just an embarrassment of riches at the moment of France. If, even if you drop Benzema, you still have a team that can win the championship for you. So, right. it's it's just ridiculous. Cool. So, so let us uh, let us move on. Yeah. Let us go to uh, uh, our 
number two and number one pick. So this is this is where we sort of uh, converge, where your number one pick of the week and my number two pick of week week is the same. So uh, why don't you talk about first, uh, and I'll just add on some stats and data to this. Yeah. So uh, I mean, there was no way I could go to any other number one pick uh, from from this week because uh, one, you dethroned uh, the king of clay. Uh, two, you have five love down. Uh, you've lost, I think, the last six uh, of the last seven uh, matches you've played against him on clay. Right. Or overall, I'm not sure. You uh, you can you can probably add to that. But uh, at the end of the day, all the odds is, you are world number one. But all the odds are stacked against you. You're playing a player uh, who has who has a what 105 and two record at uh, mm-hmm. Roland Garros, which right. is. Which looks like a cricket score rather than a tennis. <laughs> yeah, it's, that that is almost Bradmanesque. That uh, yeah. <laughs> that ninety nine point nine four average. It is ridiculous. So uh, and, and you he was I think he was five love down in the first set. It right. it looked like he was again the same French Open final we had last year. It looked like he was going yeah. to be overwhelmed and pummeled again out of the court Philip Chatrier. Right. And then suddenly at final down, I don't know from where. Uh, you can talk about the technical side, I guess, but the the way he uh, manages to reset himself, I don't know how he does it. Like I think it was a quarter final against Musetti, right? Yeah, Lorenzo Musetti. Yeah, he was two sets, two sets down, down, and Musetti yeah. was yeah he was overpowering uh, Djokovic, and Djokovic said, "Okay, let me just go back to the dressing room. Let me take two minutes to myself." I think he must have shouted or done something there. He came out, and Mus- I mean, he was play. It was as if it, the score was zero zero, love all. And Musetti was just a world number yeah. 500 at that point because he had absolutely no answer to Djokovic. Right. And again, in the final, at final down, you think, okay, he'll probably give up this set and he might reset himself for set two. But then he made it 5-1, then he made, he broke back, then he mm-hmm. made it 5-2. Right. And uh, and I think Nadal still won the first set 6-3, but you could tell that the Djokovic was starting this to was, figure this out. This was far from over. This was not like last yeah. year's uh, final. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then Djokovic obviously took the second set, and the third set was off. The <laughs> third set was probably one of the best sets yes. of tennis I've seen in yes. a long, long time. Yes. It was yes. the back and forth. Oh man, I thought Djokovic would be slightly getting tired by that point because he was coming on the back of two five setters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, the quality of tennis in that third set was just out of this world. And right. whoever you could tell whoever won that set would probably go on and win the win the final. And obviously Djokovic won the tiebreaker. Right. And he uh, managed to close it out in four sets. But the fact that he beat the king of clay, Rafael Nadal, and the way he beat them mm-hmm. from five love down in the first set, as if nothing had happened, right. uh, he figured out Nadal on the fly. He figured out what he had to do, where he had to place his shots. And and there was no one else, honestly, I could take as my number one pick. So now <laughs> I'll uh, pass on the ball uh, to you to talk about the technique and the stats that, that you want to bring out. Right, right. So absolutely. So there is there is only one reason I have it on number two, and we'll see that later. But otherwise, this was the most mind blowing thing that uh, we have seen uh, uh, all week, probably all year in tennis, and probably in the last five ten years in uh, all across tennis. Uh, because uh, Djokovic, I'll just build on the last point that you mentioned. Djokovic is almost like a shape uh, shape uh, shifter. He, he he sort of reads what the other player is doing, and then he adapts his game and uh, just just does things that normally other other players are not able to uh, you know adapt that quickly because uh, if you see all the top players they have their own uh, conventional mm-hmm. and very very strong points that i am good at my first serve i am i am a serve and volleyer I, I i'll do this these are the five things that i have but djokovic always seems to uh, almost sense what the other player is good at and then find out something else in his game so i'll i'll give you an example uh, just like you mentioned, uh, it, of course, that third set in semi-final against Rafa was insane. Uh, uh, usually, at at this day and age, uh, we are struggling to stay awake for matches. But mm-hmm. when that third set started, it was I think one thirty or two a.m. in India, mm-hmm. and I was wide awake. It was mm-hmm. like goosebumps all over again. And there is a there is a sort of personal story to it as well. So. In 2012, when uh, Djokovic and uh, Nadal were in the Australian Open final, uh, which was one of the longest uh, finals ever, and that was like uh, setting the tone for what was to come in the uh, in the in the years. Uh, it in India, it started at 2 p.m. Uh, in um, uh, in the afternoon, Australian Open, and uh, uh, I remember I was. Uh, 
uh, I was one of my friends was getting married. I was in a, a hotel in Bhubaneswar, and uh, we were we were thinking that okay, the match will get and get get over by let's say five six p.m. at the max, and then uh, we'll we'll uh, get dressed and go to wherever we want to go and all that. Barat uh, and uh, Gori and dance and all of that can can happen after that, uh, but. But I was so I was alone in the room. There were twenty twenty five other of of the friends who were uh, hanging around doing whatever the uh, uh, pre wedding things uh, are done, hanging around, uh, uh, fooling around, and all of that. Uh, I was I was transfixed. I was in the room. I said that look, uh, I'll I'll get to your wedding, but this is really important to me. I want to watch this match, and I was alone in the hotel uh, hotel room just watching it. Then. Suddenly, around 5:30 p.m., uh, the murmurs started coming that uh, uh, we need to get ready. Let's let's start uh, this whole uh, thing. Let's get to that place. And I I could see that you know uh, the the person that I was uh, sharing the room with he came in. He said that let's let's uh, uh, let's just get ready. And then he also started watching the match. And then suddenly, I had like five six people in my room who were watching the match. And and the match went on and on and on. And suddenly, we were getting calls. Uh, from our friend that where are you i am i am waiting for for the godi there is no one in barat what the hell are you doing and all of us us were like no we will not go till the match is over so so it took till 8 8:30 pm when the match got over and then we sort of just uh, soaked it in for uh, 15 20 minutes just talked about it wow this is the most insane thing that ever those kind of feelings were uh, uh, you know rekindled when when uh, i was Uh, watching this match and uh, the third set it was out of the world it was like a tournament in itself uh, the the back and forth the 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 kind of insane shots they were hitting the drop shots the angled shots the uh, the the running around uh, ground strokes and winners so that that was that was like an exhibit of uh, of, of everything that Uh, you sort of put in highlights. That entire set was a highlight reel itself, and it went on for ninety-seven minutes. That's that's almost like uh, uh, the entire duration that Rafa is used to play, right? And after that, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, Djokovic going to coming back from two two nil down, going to the bathroom. The bathroom seems to be the real uh, winner yeah. in this uh, <laughs> French Open. Going back, uh, coming coming back like a totally transformed player. And I think that that uh, uh, that match against Musetti was. Was was bizarre. He just he just uh, Djokovic came and he yeah. won the next set in like fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah. Then he served a bagel in the next one. It was like we were watching uh, two matches from two different continents on two different surfaces. And a similar thing happened in the final. So Sitsipas, of course, played played a great tournament. His match against Medvedev was uh, was 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 really uh, I, I I I I was sort of. Thinking that number two seed Medvedev is going to beat Sissipas, uh, mm. and they have a really good history of riffraff uh, happening. That's that's one of the stories to look forward to yeah. in uh, as the uh, next generation uh, takes over whenever it does. Uh, mm. So uh, so Sissipas did really well to beat Medvedev, then coming to the final uh, against Djokovic. And you mentioned that Djokovic was the number one seed, but against Rafa, of course, uh, he was going in as the underdog, then beating. Uh, Rafa in the final again he was two sets down Sissipas seemed like he was carrying the form from the Medvedev but again he took a break came back and uh, he adapted his game that was if you uh, if you look at his uh, uh, stats he he sort of uh, went back on the speed of his first serve so he saw that uh, he needs accuracy rather than uh, uh, rather than you know Uh, a fast serve because he saw that his second serve was being attacked by uh, uh, by Sissipas and Sissipas was was in the form of his life so he was taking the uh, second serve and attacking it so what Djokovic did did was adapted his game he 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 went back like twenty thirty uh, kilometers per hour back on his uh, first serve and uh, he took the chance that let's say. If I can serve at 180, 190 kmph, let's let's take it back to 160. And uh, uh, I, I am great at uh, ground strokes, uh, covering the ground, right? So so Djokovic knows that he he adapted his drop shots game. Uh, uh, like he, he as I said, he he was al- he almost becomes like a shape uh, shifter. So he he hits 30, 40 drop shots. He he did that. Uh, he beat Sissipas at his 
uh, uh, own game coming from again two sets uh, two sets down having such grueling matches over the uh, uh, course of the tournament uh, and uh, just to give you some some stats uh, uh, he of course won his 19th grand slam uh, trophy which which gets him just one uh, 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 one shy from both federer and uh, nadal boy when 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 felt uh, when sampras had won 14 we thought that was the end of it nobody is yeah. going to win all of that but suddenly we have three players who are almost like in a slipstream mm. uh, formula one that uh, if one car goes uh, goes fast you have your uh, partner going in the slipstream and all of them are uh, you know racing to the top so i think that is what 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 is happening he won his 19th grand slam but uh, some of the interesting thing that that happened one he became uh, the, the 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 i think he was first, first player in the open era to win all the slams twice uh, which is yeah. which is an amazing feat in itself and he he has a better head to head record against uh, the uh, the 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 top players of his era he he if you if you take away uh, the surface he has a better head to head against feder he has a better head to head against nadal uh, he has a better winning percentage against top 10 opponents than feder or nadal so he wins like 70% of his matches against uh, uh, the 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 top 10 uh, he has a better winning record uh, uh, against the top 5 so he, win, he wins like 57% of his matches as compared to 53% that rafa does and i find that really interesting so uh, probably his off field persona is something that uh, uh, that that gets talked about and it it whenever we talked about the goat the greatest of all time that is one thing that sort of takes away points from him but if you look at pure stats and pure uh, uh, objective stats and not the let's say the resilience or the class or the grace uh, that the other two bring in if you just look at pure facts we might argue that he is the greatest player uh, of all time yeah absolutely i think uh, you're right so if you objectively analyze the numbers you crunch the data when you look at uh, just pure stats from and you can list down any number of players you might want to include in your top 5 10 debate but like you rightly said there is any more now after this win there is no more uh, at least arguably he has transcended that goat uh, debate for us so uh, you can talk about federer when he was in his prime he was the best to watch nadal obviously is the king even after this he will always remain the king of clay but uh, you you're right so why one of the biggest reasons why people don't take to djokovic and don't like to take his side in the court debate is because of his off off field uh, uh, his what his perception is of field of the pitch of the of the stadium but on the stadium i mean i don't think at least I, for me personally i can't argue anymore for anybody else uh, based on what we have seen in the last 15 20 years there is just no comparison anymore right right and i think he he is trying to uh, sort of mend his off field thing also yeah. so uh, one of the good scenes that we saw after the uh, final was yeah. him going to a, a 11 12 year old and giving his racket because uh, that 11 12 year old was uh, was yeah. was egging him on he was like his coach and this guy said that i was inspired that somebody a kid if he believes in me this much then i also have to uh, uh, believe in myself and uh, you could see the reactions of that kid so the kid's mom put it on yeah. instagram and he was like okay. you know that's that the he was he was he was jumping up and down he was so excited uh, that uh, uh, that that he could he could get the racket and that to a legendary racket of uh, of his hero. So that was good to watch, and and I hope that uh, uh, the off field thing also slowly yeah. uh, you know gets him to the gets him the accolades that he that he deserves. Right. So uh, let's go to your final uh, final pick number right. one, and of course of course right. So 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 this is this is one thing that uh, an unfortunate incident that that happened on the field. All of us uh, saw what 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 happened in the uh, Denmark game. Uh, uh, Ericsson, someone who who happens to be one of my uh, favorite players uh, because uh, you know he he is a Spurs legend and uh, uh, his his contributions to the team are. Uh, something that you know i i count him to be the best uh, playmaker we have had in a long long time and uh, seeing him see, seeing him suddenly uh, just fall on the pitch while going in for a throw in was shocking and it's it's one of the most shocking things if not the most shocking thing that i have uh, seen on a football field uh, 
uh, Pranav, you might re remember the 2012 Muambe incident, uh, Bolton Wanderers playing the Spurs and, and a similar thing happened. So after that, uh, I, I did not watch that Matt Live, but I read about it and I uh, followed it on social media. Mm. But uh, the, the things that happened around the event and the, uh, we, do, we don't talk a lot about, uh, you know, the support staff uh, uh, and, and we, we, we give a lot of uh, hero worship to the players themselves. But what happened in that match, I, I really have uh, the, the, the respect for uh, the, the captain uh, who, incidentally, his name is pronounced very similar to care in, uh, yeah. in, in English. And uh, he, he was a real caregiver. So, this guy, the, he acted like a leader. He went straight away to, to Ericsson. He saw something was wrong. He tried to uh, uh, perform CPR, just uh, put him upright so that his tongue uh, is, is not swallowed. He immediately uh, 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 captured the attention of everyone. Uh, then, then we also uh, need to uh, you know, give accolades to the uh, referee, uh, Anthony Taylor, who stopped the match immediately. And then the medics, the medics, the first responders are the ones that are really, you know, whatever happens in this Euro, they are the ones that deserve uh, the, the sort of best team, best part here. The, the, the kind of uh, quick and efficient response that, that, they, uh, uh, that they gave. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I learned was that uh, the reason why care was able to uh, perform CPR and identify all of that immediately was because in Denmark, you cannot get a license. Uh, if you're 18, you cannot get a license without learning how to do, do those things. And that, that really sort of put, put things in perspective for, for me that in India, the only education that we get is, you know, cramming notebooks and then, uh, it in, in exams and trying to pass, but these are the things that uh, we should learn. And I have one other uh, fact about the first responders. So interestingly, uh, out of all the doctors that, that came in, uh, there, there was a, uh, the, 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 two of them were brothers, the Boers brothers. Uh, one of them, uh, both of them incidentally are international retired badminton players. And in fact, Andres, Andres Boers is someone who was ranked in the top five in the world. And he was the player that Pulela Gopichan beat uh, when he won All England in 2001. So you can see the kind of multi-dimensional uh, skills that uh, these folks, uh, uh, these folks have. And really, you know, all the plaudits in the world are not enough to, uh, to sort of uh, see what, what to, to, to see what happened uh, and how uh, thankfully Ericsson uh, of course, was saved and uh, he, he shared, yeah. he, he in fact, uh, uh, FaceTimed his teammates from, from the hospital once he, uh, once he was, uh, once he woke up and he told them to uh, go out and play and not worry about, I, I think it, it, I don't know how those guys played after that break. Uh, I, I would never have, I, I don't think I would have ever the fortitude to do that, but, uh, but yeah, so this entire thing and the kind of heroes that we saw coming out to support staff uh, i thought that uh, they deserved uh, they deserve to be talked about and they should be uh, the the overwhelming heroes of this entire tournament yeah i think that's it's a very valid point and uh, for me personally as well i was watching the match live and uh, i i of the corner of my eye i noticed somebody was down but it happens in football players are faking injuries feigning injuries so i thought okay somebody must have just got their shin kicked or something must have happened but then you saw that the player isn't moving and suddenly uh, care and I think uh, the referee was frantic. Even the Finland players were frantically right. motioning for the uh, medical staff to come in and it felt like something had gone wrong. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of the camera angles that they showed us. Mm -hmm. Let's keep that yeah, out of I, uh, that. Yeah, I, that's but, why I, I didn't even uh, yeah, discuss that. I, think I completely that. agree with you. One of the things you mentioned was Anthony Taylor really... Uh, Kudos to that referee because a lot of the times referee, uh, players are faking injuries. Referees tend to ignore them. They just get up and move on with the game plays. But uh, I think credit to Anthony Taylor for quickly understanding that this was a serious situation, calling on the medics. And like you said, I mean, no words or no standing ovations are enough to applaud the way the medics uh, managed to rectify the, the uh, Ericsson on field. They managed to get him to breathe and got him awake and Thankfully, uh, all our everybody's prayers and everything worked. He's okay now and on, he's out of danger. He's stable. And uh, 
let's just hope it's honestly this is one of the most harrowing events that i have seen as, as a football fan, fan in 2021 years let's hope we never see it again but uh, uh, as long as erickson's okay uh, everybody uh, well done to everybody involved especially the medics and uh, yeah and uh, it's a very uh, valid number one pick I, I, now i'm feeling guilty i didn't pick it as number one but uh, no no I, a, i picked it for all of us so so they they yeah. deserve to be talked about and uh, uh yeah so so uh, this uh, brings us almost to the end of uh, uh, this podcast but before we go i just had a uh, we we have our parting shot uh, segment where we uh, share hopefully something interesting something fun something that 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 builds on your uh, knowledge base and uh, uh, this time's parting shot is a bit morbid uh, but it's it i i found uh, it an interesting trivia piece so i thought that uh, i would share it with you folks and especially uh, since it is uh, it it is something that was unexpected uh, the connect to popular culture right so the thing that we are talking about uh, we picked up how uh, how cpr came uh, into a lot of news and honestly uh, after this covid situation improves i think one of the things that i am going to learn first up is is all of yeah. these first aid things that are going to save our uh, our lives or someone else's life uh, but Uh, one of the interesting trivia uh, pieces that i read around uh, uh, cpr uh, re- uh, recently in one of the twitter threads that, that came up uh, was the the story about uh, uh, the, the the story about a girl who who drowned in uh, uh, river seine uh, or river seine uh, i don't know how the french pronounce it but uh, but uh, in in river seine Uh, there was a girl who was found in the 1880s 1890s and uh, uh, the girl had a very uh, very tranquil uh, 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 expression and uh, a lot of people uh, found that to be kind of uh, odd but it it also became uh, one of one of the things that was talked about so it, so uh, uh, a- a- albert camus the f- famous french writer almost compared it to Uh, to to Mona Lisa that uh, uh, it's 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 a mysterious uh, expression and uh, apparently it was one of the the masks that were made out of that uh, uh, that that expression that face were uh, something that were uh, uh, that that were popular uh, as as a as a decor item in uh, 1890s France uh, again that sounds really morbid but Uh, that's yeah. the way it was and one of the ways it has extended in uh, uh, in our uh, in our generation in our our lives is that this this mask this expression was made into um, uh, that uh, that training uh, mannequin uh, on which uh, on which doctors paramedics and anyone learns to perform cpr so uh, so that 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 mannequin is named uh, resuck and uh, the resuscitation uh, again i i struggle at the pronunciation but you get the point or uh, to make things simpler for people like me rescue and and uh, again this this is one of the uh, bizarre facts but uh, because of uh, cpr uh, this uh, this face or this figure is the most kissed in the world because of course uh, to to do cpr you have to do mouth mouth to mouth so that yeah. that becomes a random bizarre trivia uh for you but the thing that 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 caught my uh, attention being a pop culture nerd apart from being a sports geek that 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 we are uh was that since this mannequin's name is ann uh, when people are performing cpr uh, they 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 tend to ask uh, uh ann you okay you okay ann and uh, for uh, for popular culture fans like us that immediately takes us back to that famous michael jackson song smooth criminal in which uh you know this lyrics is there and you okay you okay any and that that i i didn't know that this comes from all of this story here and uh, uh and and i found that uh, fascinating so i thought um, uh, to include this as a as a parting shot uh, because this is vaguely connected to what we saw in the sporting world uh, this week i think that is something i was when you showed this to me earlier before we started recording the podcast this is something that i was not expecting as a parting shot <laughs> the connection from one uh, one image to the other uh, and then to the michael jackson song was not something i would have ever made I, even if you told given me 10000 hints i would not have made the connection it's a fascinating <laughs> thing to 
Right. So uh, with that, we we come to an end of the podcast. Uh, but before we just close in the last, uh, let's say, minute, uh, Pranav, what what are the things that you are looking forward to in the coming week? What are the things uh, uh, as a sports fan that 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 you're looking to watch? So three things, I guess, uh, they'll be very similar for you, to you as well. So the World Test Championship kicks off uh, very very soon. So right. I'm looking forward to, given that how formidable New Zealand are looking. Uh, so as an Indian cricket fan, I'm looking forward to hopefully. uh managing to overcome them uh the second thing i'm looking forward to is obviously the nba playoffs continue so i'm uh, the series i have my eye on is the western conference semi final uh, the mm-hmm. remaining one right. uh, jazz versus the clippers so it could go either way right now uh, so i'm looking forward to seeing who reaches the final to face the suns and final of course we have uh, the euro 2020 continues match week 2 will will happen uh, uh, next week mm-hmm. so portugal germany i believe is uh, or portugal france i think one other two is happening uh, next week as well plus uh, being a closet uh, england fan since uh, 2001 i am looking uh, i am hoping they win against scotland but if they lose i'll still have a lot of fun because they're losing anyway so it should be funny right. what are you looking forward to no absolutely so i think you covered the the base there of course the the most looked forward to thing for me is the yeah. w, uh, wtc that happens that starts on uh, uh, 18th uh, so uh, of course all eyes there i think i'll just take a break for 4 5 days i hope it lasts 4 5 days given yeah. the weather and the swinging conditions and everything but uh, definitely uh, that that is the top thing and uh, then then uh, of course the euros and uh, uh yeah. and i think as fans we are lucky in india that all of them are, are in slightly different time zones so you can yeah. watch the nba matches in the morning uh, then you can take a break and uh, uh, then start watching the test matches and then uh, shift to euros so so we have it uh, we we have a, a interesting lineup i think there will be a few matches in copa if we manage to catch them uh, we'll we'll just uh, see what kind of uh, a uh, strange show is going on there in in you know changing the venues uh, we get news about half the team having contracted yeah. covid so i don't know what the hell is going on there but uh, if it is a kind of uh, 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 you know a, a circus show that <laughs> that is going on in 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 brazil i would like to catch some bits of that action Yeah, I think uh, definitely. So Copa, uh, I was actually checking on the fixture list. So we've had a couple of decent games. Argentina, Chile was a cracker. I think people must have seen Messi's free kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the remaining matches are fairly. I think should be straightforward. Hopefully, Argentina make it out. Uh, you never know with this Argentine team. Uh, but uh, in the knockout stages, I think it will be fun. So Chile, Uruguay, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina. So Copa is always fun. Uh, obviously this time uh, given the way it's happened like you said i don't know what to make of it but uh, the knockout stages given the talent that is there in south america is always fun so i don't know if you'll be able to watch it live because it's at 5:30 in the morning for us right. but uh, either way i think you're right it should be fun once it reaches that stage right so uh, thanks for that pranav and with that uh, we'll end this edition of uh, the back action podcast and uh, looking forward to having you next week and uh, recapping and you know sharing anecdotes and stories around sport uh, around sports uh, for our listeners so thanks pranav and see you next week thanks nikhil thanks everyone cheers